And we are back with the Running Lifestyle Culture podcast. I hope you're all good out there. And we have a very special guest. Elliot, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very well. Cool. Welcome to the Running Lifestyle Culture podcast. Um, in this podcast, I always let the, the, the guest introduce themselves. So uh, do you want to give the listeners a bit of a rundown who you are? Yes, yeah, so I'm um, an I'm, um, endurance athlete, uh, middle distance, so I run for Great Britain. Um, and uh, my latest time I was able to put on that best was at the World Champs in um, in Doha 2019. Um, nice. Unfortunately, we don't get yeah this year, but um, yeah, that was the last time I was able to done the the GB vest. And yeah, I'm I'm one of GB's hopefuls for the next the next Olympics that is now in 2021. I love the way you're so modest. Just that little kind of like yeah, that little <laughs> intro is lovely. We're gonna get deeper into it. But let's start talking. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in um, I grew up in Birmingham in Handsworth, um, inner city area. Very different to where I live now, but for me, that's home and always will be. Yeah, nice. And like inner city area, were you doing eight hundred meters like straight away, or what happened? How did you get uh, into? So it? I, I entered the game very very late, so I um I um started running at sixteen. Um, so I just left school as I started running. I just, I think I just got fed up with other sports, and mm. I was, I was quite fortunate in my school where we had like an outdoor education department. So we was able to sample all the the unusual sports that inner city kids can't. So we used to have, we, we was able to go horse riding, sailing, oh nice, canoeing, yeah. kayaking. Yeah. We used to play sports like Gaelic football, okay, um, orienteering. And I just got fed up of everything really, and then just thought I'm, I, I felt a bit more like I wanted to rely on myself, so I. I went down to the local track and then took off from there, Alexander Stadium, joined Birchfield and then, yeah, just went from there, really. Nice. And when you when you started, like, what what did you feel? Did you feel like this was something you were hooked onto straight away or did it take time? Like, was running something that, you know, as soon as you started doing it, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this for... Yeah, so, so when, I, when I started, I started at 16 and... I think I just I think I enjoyed competition and running was one of those ones where your biggest competitor is yourself and yeah. when you're competing against yourself it's not a question of if the team's going to take you on it's whether you're mentally willing to go in sort of deep enough to really challenge yourself and when you're young and you're doing cross countries sort of 16 I'm training racing against all these guys that are far, well at the time far better than me but then I just had sometimes you just have an inner belief that you can compete with people or you can be better than them and um, so yeah, first first two years of, of running um, went really well, and towards towards the end of the, the first two years, um, I actually got injured uh, and then didn't compete for three years straight. So I then missed three consecutive track seasons, just injury after injury after injury, and it was a yeah. never-ending circle. Um, yeah. Went around and around and around, but I think it was largely due to sort of just growing and adapting. But me being me, I would I wouldn't ever rest, and I was trying to come back too quickly and I was just pushing it too much and I'd get straight back and in the first week I'm trying to run too quickly or and it was just injury after injury after injury yeah but I mean and then I, I stuck to it um had the had the motorcycle crash thought that Ben still thought that things weren't going to happen um sorry Bell didn't believe that things wouldn't happen um but had like an inner belief that I could still make it plowed through it and then before I knew it I found myself sort of where I am now competing at a high level. Wow. So let's 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 just get dive you've told us a lot there. Let's just dive back into this. So you you were running for two years and 
and in that those two years from 16 to 18 how like how high did you get how how well did you do did you manage to get uh, I, I gave you a lot i gave you a lot there didn't yeah I? That's, that's cool so so 16 to 18 i managed to um get my first england best in cross country and i ran in algoiba um okay. but i ran there with a stress fracture so i got my first vest and when you get your first vest it's the best feeling you I mean, you get to represent your country, you're yeah. actually competing at the top. Yeah. Um, but about three weeks before, I picked up a stress fracture, but I didn't know it was a stress fracture at the time. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you've got no support, you just, you try and run through it. Mm-hmm. And I remember every step, I felt like my shin was going to just snap. Mm. Um, but when you're young, you're willing to just push, push, push. And yeah. every step was, there was an excruciating pain. But if I knew if I got the adrenaline going higher, and I really just got really deep, the pain would go. Mm. So I knew that as long as I went hard, that my body was so fatigued i could almost ignore the pain but of course you can only do that for so long and i've done it for about six or seven weeks and then i just said like i remember just saying to my mom that i, I can't physically run anymore because i'm willing to take on the pain but the pain is just dragging me down too much yeah um, and then it, the slope just sort of went from there and i got myself into a vicious cycle of um because i had a taste of what it could be like a peanut upset level. i raced and i had an awful race because i just couldn't I was basically running on one leg and it gets mm. to the point where you're in pain so much on one leg, you end up deviating to one side because you're yeah. pushing off on one side so much yeah. that you just almost, so it was my left leg that had the stress fracture in my tibia. And I just found myself moving to the left all the time because yeah. I could push up the right side, but the yeah. left side's not going anywhere. <laughs> so as soon as you hit a corner, you're going to press off on another side. Yeah. It's just game over, but what an experience, I guess. So that passion of getting that vest and, and, and it sounds like you're, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the same in terms of um, that mindset. So understanding that every day you have to just compete against you. And that's, that's something yeah. that I think is like, yeah, you, you, it's almost like an endless fuel, right? So every day when you get up and you're competing against yourself, you know that it's just you who, who's out there and, and nobody else can take that away. So I think that's an important thing. And, and what, like, how do you, how do you kind of, do you harness that by looking at your time or like how do you kind of how would you suggest to somebody listening to this how can they harness that kind of aspect of competing against themselves do you do it via metrics or do you do it via like you know every day you just want to be 10 percent better than yesterday i know there's always people have like strategies i think that i think there's two ways to like to almost approach running and a, a large part of it is is the coaching now because my sort of I entered the game. I entered the running so late, so then I wasn't able to actually. I wasn't able to actually grasp and understand how running works. And then because I got injured, because I got a taste of running at a higher level, yeah, um, very early on, and I didn't really earn it. I was just good at what I did, and I just trained, and I just kept getting better and better and better so quickly. I just kept pushing. Then I faced the never-ending cycle, and I didn't understand that running's a slow process. It's not about just going out there and smashing it. It's yeah about training smart and understanding that this session leads to the next one yeah and if you can get, if you can get 10 block 10 sessions done at 70 percent, that's better than getting three sessions done at 100 because you've got that consistency rolling over and i think you sorry can you just say can you say that bit again because i think that was golden ah so i said that if you can get sort of 10 sessions 10 sessions done at sort of 70 percent. nice yeah that's far better than getting three sessions done at 100 and it and sort of understanding that grasp is, is quite difficult because when you're young and you just want to 
what you want to be better all you want to do is push 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 and you want to hit that red line and a red line isn't always yeah the best option sometimes you're just going to tear underneath it or even way below it yeah and just hit some consistency do everything else and just tick boxes i think also when in, in quarantine very lucky to understand it yeah in quarantine i think like with with a lot of people picking up running as a new sport this is also yeah. going to be happening like I think yeah. no matter what I think even if you're if you're a young person or if you're early into your running journey that's something that we we I think we've all had that 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 mm. issue that problem um as runners amazing and it's you know it's interesting because like, I guess like most people start running now and they'll be like all right I'm going to run 30 miles this week or I'm going to run 10 mile or I'm yeah. going to try and run 100 miles if yeah. you're crazy but, and then but it's understanding that it's not about trying to do that it's about understanding the process that if you can get this, this, I'd rather have 10 quality mile than 20 mile in total. Person. Yeah. And if you can, because the moment you start overdoing stuff and you're trying to get too competitive is the moment you start picking up niggles, you start, I don't know, overstriding, you mm. start tensing up and you start, I don't know, you, you do things that aren't going to, aren't going to help your performance. Yeah. And things just go downhill from there. Yeah. But it's hard, it's hard. And I think it's hard to do that if you don't have someone guiding you along the way. It's really yeah. difficult. Okay, amazing. So, in your three years, did you have nobody with you at, at that time? You know, when you were injured, so from 18, those three years and the recurring injuries, were you predominantly on your own or did you? Uh, I had, so I had a very good, a very good coach and someone who was with me along the, every sort of step of the way, but I think, I think I was probably my own sort of, yeah. my tonight, if you like, I mm. always wanted to rush it back and yeah. there was never, and so because I didn't really, show any major promise i wasn't one of the best in the country at the time i wasn't I, there was nothing really for anyone really to help me other than my coach who yeah. was there he had other athletes. yeah um, and of course i just he would tell me to go out and run five mile but me being young it was can i run five mile in 26 minutes and it was <laughs> it was just and that was it so yeah. he would say go and run five mile easy but for me that meant go and push it yeah get to your first mile and see how you feel get to the second mile by the third mile, you should be hurt. In fourth mile, you should be thinking, I'm not going to finish it. And then yeah. by the time you get to it, I'm injured again. And that was that was just my mentality. And I, I I didn't have eyes on enough for someone to guide me because I didn't let anyone in, if you like. So I can't blame anyone. Yeah. Um, it was largely my fault why that happened. And I didn't have physios and stuff. Yeah. So. yeah. But, but you know, you've become the athlete you are for it. So sometimes I think it's, it's, a, it's a, like a... A learning experience and a journey that you you have to take right yeah it is it's, it's a massive roller coaster and you have to ride it for as long as you can and every time you think you've got the answer you realize that you haven't and now i'm understanding my body more and you sort of get to a point because you think you work so hard and sometimes you think that you you deserve it but you you, you deserve nothing in our sport nobody deserves anything it's all about getting on that start line and performing on that day it's yeah. just it's, it's, it's a real mind boggle when you deep our sport and I think there's a key to just if you are competitive just switch up and race forget about everything else forget about the fact to know that you've done the training and have that in the back of your mind but don't think because you've done it that you're gonna you earn anything because it doesn't work that way it's just about performing and seizing the opportunity when you can nice nice and I think also people out there who are going to be doing virtual 5Ks, virtual 10Ks, and when the races come back, marathons, I think that's some good advice. Um, you know, no matter how much training you do beforehand, even in recreational marathon running, like once you get to the day, it could be 
storms it could be 30 degree heat so you've just got to take yeah. on take on what it what's happening on that day right you've just got to let you've got to learn to adapt like people have done in 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 corona i think i think you'll see that the people who are good at who are good athletes will thrive during lockdown because they know they've got confidence in their ability they've got confidence in their team and they won't have just indulged in food 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 and they won't have not trained because they can well but they'll be waking up they'll be training they'll be doing what they need to do and they won't be overdoing it yeah amazing and like so you're you've got to the point now you're back training so the three years of 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 injuries have ended what what happened then so just talk to us kind of like when you were coming back onto the scene what was what was happening so i remember um i remember i I think i was hit off my motorbike late august um after my first year of university and i went to university running my pb was one minute 53 seconds or 154 seconds yeah um, one of, and I remember, I remember, I didn't really have any promise. There was no real reason for the coaches to believe in me. Um, so therefore, I didn't really get a look in, if you like, because mm-hmm. guys were running six seconds quicker than me. So yeah, of course, you're not going to pay me attention. But I remember hobbling over to the coach's office, um, uh, Craig Greenwright, Craig Greenwright at the time, and I was on crutches, and my I just remember I was a mess. Like my knee was my knee. So, so what 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 back. happened with your motorcycle? What what exactly? Uh, so long story short, um, <laughs> I there was a three lane road mm-hmm. um, approaching the traffic lights, and there was a car in the third lane. But and so as you approach traffic lights, there was also a turning off to the uh, to the Crown Plaza in, in Birmingham, the mailbox. Yeah. yeah. And this lady realised that she actually missed the turning to come up. So um, she she went as over. she's realised. Yeah. I'm not sure if she's. I'm not sure if she's glancing in the mirror or if she hasn't. But she's basically just jumped two lanes, and just took me out, if you like. Yeah. Um, my little brother was actually on the back of the bike at the time, so he went over the top of the handlebars. And um, oh, wow. I was, I was unfortunate enough to be trapped in between the bike and the car. So where she sort of hit me, she, my knee was sort of in between the tank and her, yeah. um, and the car. And I sort of came off, hit the side, um, but I landed on the curb. So then I damaged all my lap, my lower back. But I was knocked out. I say fortunately because I think I don't record any of it. I just can go off what my little brother told me and what we've seen on the on the CCTV footage. So I I have no recollection of what happened other than sort of waking up the following day in the hospital and just being I yeah, just pure confusion, just yeah. shit, not understanding what's going on, yeah, and just being sort of worried, thinking he's my little brother okay. Um, but luckily he was okay. He came up and skated, and yeah, yeah he was um. He was he was good to tell the tale, <laughs> and then you you so you you've kind of what what were the injuries you you had? Uh, so uh, I tore my PCL, um, which is it's the it's the tendon that stops your knee from going back. I think yeah, posterior um, creep. Yeah. So I had I had like far too much play in my in my knee, and then my knee just felt like it was going to fall off. If I'm honest, um, it was it was a really weird pain. It was like a throb, like a real constant throb where. It just didn't feel like it was quite connected. Um, I bruised all my lower back um, from where I landed on the curb, and my I completely well my glute was definitely ruptured because I've got a massive where it should be a straight line. I've got a massive like bowl, if you like, mm. and a, and a bump there. And I I only recently over the last sort of year managed to get feeling back where it doesn't feel like there's pins and needles there all the time. Okay. And then the other one was just was brain damage, but the brain damage is difficult because. Because when it's happened to you, you don't understand, um, and it's not until sort of years later that you're sort of 
grasping and coming more back to what you should have been that you realize that wait like i was seriously messed up then because some of like yeah. these things you've done or think the ways you've processed things or just little things and i knew it because i remember submitting a, an assignment at, at uni and two of my lecturers two of my lecturers brought me into the office and they were just like we know you've had a bike crash but how serious is those how serious was this bike crash because yeah i wrote the assignment and they were just like this just doesn't make any sense of course me at the time i didn't understand that it didn't make any sense i thought i wrote an assignment but apparently it was just gibberish yeah um, and long story short they pretty much told me that you just need to spend a year getting back to getting back to yourself and they pretty much just told me just to submit assignments but they were working with me to help me almost learn how to read and write properly again and put words together and yeah they basically gave me a year for my brain to recover and, and, I, and i respect my lecturers a lot for that because um i think without them i would have just completely failed uni because I don't think my the assignment got a grade at the time. Um, it was it was that bad that yeah. the lecturer just like this doesn't reflect year one's assignment uh, yeah. assignments. Yeah. Either I think their their thoughts were probably he's either cheated all of year one or he's had a big <laughs> he's pretty messed up and yeah it was a lot of apparently I was pretty messed up. Yeah. But and then and then you kind of like you you went to the coaches and what what did you like end up doing yeah so I, I remember going in the office and at the time um james brewer do you know james brewer he was a former yeah. uh, 1500 meter athlete. yeah so he um he was at the time he was like at crossroads he was coming towards the latter half of his career and he was i think he managed to get a job at the what was called the epac um at st mary university yeah and i think he i think he and craig discussed and james was willing to take me on as a little bit of a project um but I don't, James didn't really know me at the time. He knew that I wanted to be a good runner. And it was weird because James committed so much to me and he gave me, I can't describe how much time he gave me and he, he literally built me up from the bottom of, so if you're building a house, you always put the foundations in. Yeah. And James put those foundations in like you wouldn't believe. He was in the, he was in the uh, gym with me every day, every morning. And it went from sort of walking properly on a strengthening at my knees, strengthening at my back. And we was just literally just blitzing everything and it, it was good because I think without the bike crash, I wouldn't be where I am. And I, I say that, I say without the bike crash, I wouldn't have had James because James taught me to slow things down. It was a, before you can run, yeah. your body needs to get to survive the four miles. So if you want to run five miles, it's fine if you can run it, but if you can't run the following day, then you've already failed. So James yeah. was more like, um, it was more like a holistic approach of, right, we're going to get you back strong. We're going to get your legs strong, your knees strong. And we just done, we done gym work like you wouldn't believe. And he, it then quickly went on to jogging. Jogging became running, and then before I knew it, I was doing sessions. James was with, James was sort of cued into how my my mind works that he wouldn't let me train with other people. So it was purely done on what he would nice. what he would tell me to do. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I, I actually I was getting competitive, mm. and he let me do a few sessions with the other guys, and I was I was thinking, well, like, I'm beating these guys now. And I remember thinking this is the most consistent I've ever been because I, prior to this I couldn't string together more than six weeks of training. Yeah. <laughs> By this point, I stringed together a few months, albeit like it was, it was a pretty checkered like few months because I was a lot of it was just rehab. Um, but then before I knew it, um, started training with like after Christmas. A few months later, I was making British champs final in like the July and stuff. And and what year I was this? From, I jumped from one fifty four to one forty seven, and I think even James was just like, "Whoa, like this is." This is pretty incredible. And I was excited thinking if I yeah. jumped from 154 to 147 off the back of a big motorcycle accident, three years injured, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to run, I'm, I just believe the world of my accident and things sort of took off from there. 
Nice. What year was this? Uh, so this would have been the year before. So this would have been 2015, 2015. And mm. then um, coming up to the next following year, I then expected to um, expected things to take off, but then I actually ended up, unfortunately, I ended up, me and James parted with because James went off to the US and he went to um, Arizona. Yeah. And that was when I joined um, Matt Yates' group. Yeah. Um, I joined him in the in the March, I think. And joined him in the March. But by this point, I had an incredible... I was ready to go. I was. I had a full year of rehab. I was doing everything I needed to do. My body was far stronger than it had been, but I needed that. I think Matt then gave me the extra piece, the next piece, which was to be more race ready and more race competitive. So he sort of gave me the mind frame to be able to go out, compete and race. Yeah. Um, and I think going into him in a good position um, from where I had been. Yeah. And then, yeah, from March, April, May, June, July, compete. April, May, June, I think, so sort of three or four months later, I then won British. I then won the England under twenty threes. England under twenty threes went on to winning British champs. I then got selected to run for GB, which was, of course, the biggest dream you could ever ever believe. And when and is this? Then, is this twenty sixteen? This is twenty sixteen now. Yeah. Amazing. So then, of course. I mean. So like eighteen months champs. after your after your accident, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So it was. It was a. It was a big. It was a big big thing for me at the time because. You, when you go to British Champs, you just want to make the final, and then when you win it, it's it, you can't describe the feeling that you you sort of experience. I can only imagine. And I just thinking it was one of the, the proudest moments sort of of my life, and I remember I think I, I think I did break down when I crossed the line because I remember thinking I've gone through just constant what felt like just low, low, low. Yeah. And I never ever experienced a highlight. I never was able to actually win a race and just feel like right, this is why I'm doing it. And I, I that's incredible. Taste that until I won that British Champs. I remember thinking, but at no point did I think, why am I doing this? Yeah. I always knew that I'm striving for something, but and I'm not willing to stop until I get it. Yeah. And I never did get that taste until I won the British champs, and then riding the wave. I remember getting the, and then I remember getting the call to represent um, GB at the Euros, and I didn't even have the qualifying time to run at European, so it was a controversial one. Yeah. Um, and I went to Euros, and I think they actually gave me a spot just for experience. Yeah. And I remember running in the heats. Um, and then uh, Matt was quite good in, in that in that sense because he would give me like a breakdown of, of who I was racing and he would tell me like who were the danger guys, who I need to look out for. If somebody makes a move, then this is who you need to cover. Yeah. But that's this is the beauty of being naive. For me, I didn't care. I was, <laughs> I was going out to race. I didn't I, I yeah. didn't care about any plans. I'm just going to go out and race. I know I know yeah. what I want to do. I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And in my head, it was just like right. If he's a danger man, then I'm a danger man. That's how, that's all I had. Yeah. In my head. And as long as I don't let him get too far from me, I can compete with him. And I remember running the heats, Wicked. getting to about 200, the 250 mark and thinking, I remember looking around and thinking, these guys are like, struggling here and I feel quite comfortable. Yeah. And knowing that these guys have like PBs of 145 or below, I'm still supposed to be a 147 runner. Yeah. And then I got through, I remember then getting into the last 100 and just kicking. And I've, I've never felt so comfortable kicking away. And I remember thinking, whoa, this was, like, this was easy. I remember seeing uh, Marcin Lewandowski. And the Polish athlete yeah. who's in phenomenal running. Yeah. Well, I'm catching him here, and I'm, I'm still comfortable. Yeah. So then I remember, I remember getting through the heats and just thinking, "Whoa!" Like, I remember thinking I'm in I shape. Do this now. I, yeah. I really believe I could do it. And then it got into the semis, and I think the semis is probably where I was probably expected to fall off because I went into the Euros. I think I was on paper I was ranked 66, 66th in Europe. Okay. So of course, yeah. Of course, you're not really meant to make the semis if you're ranked 66. Yeah. Um, Got into the semis, and again the semis. I remember 
I remember getting onto the home straight again, putting in a bit of a surge, and then catching up Martin Lewandowski and, and Amor Tuka. Bearing in mind, Tuka ran like 142 or 143 the year before, um, like world champs medalist and all sorts, and it was like lighting up the world and thinking, whoa, I'm catching yeah. Tuka here and I'm comfortable. Yeah. And I remember, I remember the two of them um, coming in together, so they wouldn't let me through the gap. But of course, it was free through to get to the final. But I remember thinking, I'm catching these guys now and they won't let me through. So I mean, this is a bit of foul play, but I understood that then it was like, it became a tactical affair. Um, and then before I know it, I'm in the final, naive to all of this, not overthinking anything, just enjoying the experience. Yeah. Came to the final and just thought, I didn't, I don't really think I've thought, I think, I, I think if I'm honest, I just ran and the guys, start, people started making a move a lot earlier this time and they started making a move at 300. Mm-hmm. But I knew in the back of my head that if I stand a chance, if I make a move at 300, I've never been here before. And do I want to throw away a potential um, spot in, in winning? Yeah. Because I think you have to be realistic when you when you run. If you if you if you race and you normally kick at 100, if you then kick at 300, you're not going to last. Yeah. I think, I think at the time I took a very sensible decision to just abide my time and just let Adam Kashat who took uh, who really put the hammer down. Yeah. I let him pull away a little bit. Um, and I I'm not sure where I was positioned. I think I was probably about fifth coming off. The, coming up the bend and then I just went bang and I was able to I was able to put another surge and then I remember crossing the line sort of neck and neck with, with Martin and thinking yeah if you, if you see the picture I still argue that I came second that day <laughs> but I, I managed to get I managed to get the bronze medal and I remember thinking that that was it it was a I didn't race to win which which disappointed me a little bit yeah but I raced far beyond anything I've ever competed at before and I tried to. I didn't quite shoot for the stars, so I didn't go for the win. Yeah. But I did run for. I did run for a medal, and I just remember feeling the and again the sense of just self accomplishment. I was able to hold up the British flag because I won a medal for my for my uh, for my country. And then before you know it, and this I is the hold. this is the bronze, right? This is the bronze. Yeah, this is yeah. the bronze at Euros. Um, um, what year? Then, what year was that for our listeners? This twenty twenty sixteen. Yeah. And then I remember. I remember getting home. Um, and I wake up the following day from arriving home on this crazy high, and then I get injured. My Achilles plays up, Aww. but my history of Achilles issues stems back like five or six years, um, and I've been having Achilles issues for longer than I can remember. So then I had two weeks off training, um, and yeah, things just sort of went somewhat downhill from there. Two weeks afterwards, I then get the call up to represent GB at the Olympics, and again, this was just like a crazy. It was like high after high after high after mm-hmm. high. And you don't think you can get any, you can you don't think you can get past this. Um, got the call up to represent GB. Of course, you're not going to ever say no. Um, continue training hard, um, cross training, cycling, whatever I could do. I just couldn't run for two weeks, and then I was able to get a few more weeks in after the two weeks. But of course, you're playing catch with them. You hit this crazy high. Yeah. And you expect to be able to jump back to where you was. But if you have two weeks off from running, you can't just jump back to where you was because it, just, it not. just doesn't work. Yeah. When you're at the elite level, it's all about the 0.0 percent. And you miss the one or two percent, and then you're way off the game. Mm. It's the difference from running one forty five to running one forty six, mm-hmm. and that's the difference between first and last place um, mm. in our sport. So, yeah, I went to went to Rio, um, super overwhelmed, and was sort of. I think I was almost drowned in the whole experience. Um, mm. I wasn't quite fit enough because of the time I had off, but I still believe that because of what I did at the Euros, I could do the same again. But I went into that semis and I think then I expected to be able to compete and rather than just running how I should have run, 
I just allowed myself to try and get to the front of the race rather than just chilling and doing what I should have done. I tried to take control of the race and before I knew I expended so much energy trying to cover moves and do this and do silly things that I just, yeah, I ended up getting swamped and then mm. I think I finished, I think I finished seventh, sixth or seventh in the, in the heat mm. and I was getting, I remember one of the guys that made it through, he came like, I think he came last in the final year and in my head I was like, I, I beat this guy quite comfortably a month ago and now he's just beat me and made me look like, like I'm silly and I remember thinking that this is obviously what running's about, it's, is putting things together. It's not necessarily about who's the best. It's about who you can execute on the day. Yeah. And and perform when it matters. Yeah. Nice man. I think your your story is incredible, and like that's why I really wanted you on the podcast because I think you've um, you epitomise that that kind of yeah the runner's journey because you have ups and downs and like it's about balancing everything that happens in your life and staying on course right and just being able to internally compete with yourself and no matter what's going on around you just being able to stay on that on that course and i think yeah it's, it's kind of staying do you know something i learned at, um because i i then i trained with matt for a year and then we sort of went our own ways and then i i'm now coached by john big um, and i have been for the last few years now and I, i've gone from a coach that was just like would like push you to the red line like crazy. Now a coach that's far more about consistency and about the development of the athlete and to get you to the final in the best possible position. And I think I've gone from, because I was so used to just hitting it as hard as I possibly could, I'm now with a coach who has got me more consistent than I've ever been. Um, and I'm in, I'm in a far, far better position. But it's understanding that, like then I started to, um, I started to, like the last few years, I was almost overthinking I was just thinking too much and it wasn't until last year that so when you race if you run in the 800 if you're thinking about your move the move's already done but you can't think you just have to act yeah or you exit man and the moment you're thinking too much before you know it, these guys have got two meters on you and you can't make two meters unless you're far better than the athlete two meters is a long way unless it's part of the plan of the race um and i fell into a trap of doing that i think because even at greatest champs last year i I've spent too much time thinking and not just acting instinctively. I wasn't letting myself be be an athlete, if you like. Mm. Um, and Richard Kelty said that during one of his speeches, he said um, over-analysis leads to performance paralysis. And I'll never forget that. I like I'll that. Ne- I'll never ever forget that because it's the best thing. I think it's the best piece of advice that any athlete can hear. And analysis leads to performance paralysis and it couldn't be more true. If you're not, if you're spending, there's a, there's a beauty in almost being naive if you can almost switch off and you can almost call it stupidity if you like if you Mm. can almost just forget what's going on around you and just race and just let things happen and don't think right this is where i'm going to pick up or this is where i'm going to do this yeah just let them unfold and adapt to how it goes if you have to cover a move don't cover that move too hard just slowly ease up with it just let things happen don't force things because the moment you tighten up before you know it you're just running with your shoulders up around your ears and you're not getting <laughs> um, And I, I remember taking that into into Doha and um, I got through the heats quite comfortably. I got into the semis and I think I was I think I was point one of a second away from making the final and I, I didn't make the final. Yeah. But I learned a lot in that champs and it was almost bringing me back to 2016, um, like three years prior where it was just like, I, I just ran. I didn't yeah. worry about who was in my race. 
what are tactics people are likely to pursue. I just worried about myself and I knew how I could win the race. And I think that was my best chance since, my best year since 2016. And it was because I just, I didn't care about anyone else. I didn't care about how good they were or yeah. where they were capable of or yeah. they to kick. I knew what I could do. So if I knew what I could do. I'd use my attributes and then they can worry about me. And I wish that there were more races left at all because I wanted to excuse that same mind frame and concept of trying to race that way rather than, rather than overthinking pretty much and trying to go too much into the psychological aspects of running because I think that's where you can fall flat. Yeah, definitely. And kind of leading on to psychology, psychological aspects, how do you how do you stay so positive? How do you kind of get your mind right, especially with, you know, some of the injuries you've had? How what what did you do when you were like finding it really difficult during your rehab? Yeah, if I'm if I'm honest, things are I, I've done I've done all sorts to be fair. I remember going through a phase where um, after the bike crash, I, I told myself that I was gonna sort of fight all my demons. So anything that scared me, for me, it was like I'm gonna tackle everything that I can think of that scared me. Yeah. And it started it started <laughs> out small with little things like getting back on the motorbike. I remember I knew I was scared to ride the bike because I knew that I could potentially get hurt. So yeah. Um, it started with me. Uh, yeah, I remember going home. I remember going home from. Uh, university in, in Twickenham, London, and then going back to Birmingham. I remember looking at the bike, saying to myself, I need to do it. I went to the local bike shop, picked up a new battery, put it in the bike, and then I was driving back to Twickenham within about an hour or two. And then wow. I remember my mum phoning me and having a massive go at me. But yeah. I knew I had to do that for myself because yeah. I couldn't live life in fear of potentially getting hit off the bike again. Yeah. Because um, I needed to get through it. So, And then before I knew it, I was going around Europe. So my plan was. Wow. So the initial plan was to um so two days before, two days after I got knocked off, I was meant to be actually going around Europe on my motorbike. Yeah. Well, of course I couldn't do it because I got knocked off the bike, um, and then yeah, I, I remember getting back to London and then just thinking, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this trip because I needed to do that trip for myself, and I then found myself going around Europe on the motorbike. Um, Amazing. And just, do you know what? Uh, that's incredible. Time. That's one of the mindsets I definitely have. I feel like sometimes if you're afraid to do something, you have to tackle it. And I feel like yeah. if you tackle it in stages, um, so like yeah. you rode to Twickenham or, you know, if you do it slowly, I think, and progressively, that's definitely something that um, is is important. But like when, you, when you're finding it hard and you're, because people get injured all the time, right? People who are listening to this are going to get injured. So what would you yeah. advise them if they do get injured? Like what's your, what would you say? What's your take home message when you get injured? Um, you've talked about kind of like patience and, like, do you have any sort of things that you think of? And... I, I think I think it's largely understanding that injuries injuries are a process, and if you if you can apply yourself properly during an injury, you're not going to fall flat. You're going to come out just as strong if you apply yourself. So that means if you do get injured, you cross train, you go on the cross training, you go on the bike, you do whatever you can do, and you apply your normal week of training but you just apply it in the pool. It makes like absolutely that. no difference yeah. where you train as long as you get it done. Yeah. But the moment you wallow in your pity and you worry about yourself not being able to run or you're getting down is the moment you lose because everybody gets injured. Yeah. There's nothing much about you, I, or the next person. Yeah. We're all going to injuries, but it's how you handle those injuries that make or break you as an athlete. And nice. it's pointless dwelling on yourself because you're not, let's be honest, if you're dwelling on yourself about an injury, then you're weak. And I, I, I remember thinking that, I, and I've, I say that loosely, like, you're not necessarily weak, but you're, you're maybe still learning, which is what I was doing, because I used to dwell myself, and then 
I think I've just come to the point now where I'm like, if you can train smart, you can almost minimize pretty much every injury. Yeah. So, for instance, now I'm competing at quite a high level, but I only actually run four times a week. Um, so, and when I say four times a week, that's four individual runs a week. Yeah. So I'm not running four days a week. There's yeah. no doubles in there. Yeah. So I, I do, I do two runs and two sessions a week at the moment. So, and I'm supposed to be competing at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I substitute all of my training with, um, my excess runs with, I've got an elliptical, which is like a stand up cross trainer on wheels. And I do all of my mileage on that. I don't do any, I don't do any long runs or anything like that. Everything's yeah. purely. And since, since Christmas, I've adapted the strategy and I, I haven't actually taken a day off training since Christmas. And it's just learning that. But had I, had I have not taken the strategy, then I probably would have spent two or three, probably even a month in this last six months off with injuries. Yeah. But it's learning how to adjust these things and, and never to dwell because dwelling is not going to get you anything. I mean, what's going to win you a medal? Sitting down and feel sorry for yourself or getting out there and riding the bike up the hill. Exactly. I mean, that's, it's, that's, that's the question you need to sort of figure out. And yeah. If you want nice. enough, you don't think about what's going on now. You think about what could be happening in the future and just keep working, working, working. I like that. And don't worry about what your competitors are doing. All you can worry about what you, that you're doing. If they're running 12 miles, it doesn't matter. You're going to run two miles, but make sure that two miles, two miles count. But that doesn't mean smashing it. <laughs> yeah. That means you might only run two miles, but then you might substitute that with a longer bike ride. Yeah. Or you might substitute the swim or and figuring it out. But like, every athlete is different. Yeah, I've definitely been there, overdone it. And I think quality is better than quantity. Um, and it depends on who you are. Like everybody is unique, um, as Elliot says. So, um, so I love motorcycles too. What motorcycles do you have? Uh, I've still got them actually. I, I, they've been at my parents for the last few years. And I've got a um, one of them. I bought as a as a um, I bought as an investment, and I actually um, it's a nineteen eighty eight Honda CBR four hundred. Um, nice. So it's old school. Nice. It's a lot yeah. older than I am. Um, yeah. And it's a it's. I bought it knowing that I feel like it's the first of its generation of the four cylinders. It's a four hundred cc, so it's a small small engine, but First gear still gets you to sort of six, 65 mile an hour. Wow. So, I mean, it, it takes off like a like a rocket ship. And then yeah. it tops out about 140 mile an hour, 135. So, it's not got the highest top speed, but it's a it's a little pocket rocket. And that is a big bike. I bought that for a, a very reasonable price and it's already tripled in value. Um, nice. So, I, I, that's my that's my investment. Um, and more because I just like looking at it, to be honest. Yeah. I don't particularly, I've only ridden it about five or six times. Um, but I just, if I'm honest, I just... I like to just look at that bike, um, yeah. and I've got my workhorse, which is the bike I was knocked up on, which was the, which is a Honda CB500, the um, old school one. Nice. So again, small engine, but absolute rocket ship, and it yeah. will just work, work, work as much as I want. Sorry, workhorse, not rocket ship. Yeah. Um, and it would just, yeah, it would just keep on forever, and nice. yeah, that's, that's my bike that I'll, I'll cherish, and I remember buying that bike, actually. I remember, I am, um, I'm... <laughs> I actually hitchhiked for an app down to um, Cornwall, and I, <laughs> I didn't have much money at this point, so I, I, didn't, I was quite low on funds. And I remember yeah. hitchhiking down to Cornwall. I had my I had a bag with a motorcycle helmet and all my gear in. Yeah. And then I had a, I had a thing I had an envelope for I think it was eight hundred pounds. <laughs> that was at this high school. Yeah. And I hitchhiked. I remember getting to the because um, I didn't know Cornwall that well. Yeah. And I didn't know how expensive it was. So I remember getting to the to Cornwall in um, Saltash. And then finding out the price of the hotel. So I'm walking around at this point. Bearing in mind, I've just hitchhiked for an app with this guy that was in the army. Really nice guy, as it turns out. Yeah. He had a, it was a really decent sort of 
guy to sort of spend the time with. Um, and then he dropped me off at the um, in the middle of the centre or wherever he was. And seeing the price of all these hotels, I'm thinking, I, I can't afford to buy the bike if I spend a night in the hotel. <laughs> and I remember, so I agreed with the guy that I was buying it off that I would meet him at the train station in the morning. Yeah. So of course, why do I do? I'm thinking, all right, buy the bike or do I stay in a hotel? So of course, I'm going to buy the bike. So I remember going into the train station in the evening about six or seven o'clock. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to stay in the train station. You just slept so in the train I, station. I, I just slept, I slept <laughs> on the, um, I slept in the train station with like the, the 800 pounds on one hand and then my bag in the other. That's commitment. And I'm spending the night and then picking up the bike the following day. And then the bike had all sorts of issues with it, all very minor issues. But yeah. of course, you know, when you're, when you're young, you just like to haggle and barter. So yeah. um, I managed to bring the price down from about 800 pounds to about 500 pounds. Um, and then I remember getting the bike and then it was pure hail. Oh. And I rolled home to Birmingham and it was hailing for like three hours straight. Like nonstop. Could you feel your hands? Rain. You must not have been able so, to feel your hands. Yeah, again, sorry? Could you feel your hands? Your hands must have been like numb. Uh, you, you just you just switch off. Yeah. You know when you're just, sometimes you get that cold, you just, you have the same running, you get an idea in your head and you're just going to run. So <laughs> I made sure I, I just, I just rolled. You know, you just yeah. tuck. So that the time, the bike, the bike, it's a naked bike. Yeah. So I just upped and I can barely see anything. I just remember thinking, just as long as I keep a good 50 to 100 meter gap for the car in front, I'll be able to break the time because the yeah. bikes don't break that well in the wet. Yeah. Especially when the bike hasn't got ABS. Yeah. So I just remember thinking, just keep a safe gap and don't do anything over sort of 60 miles an hour. Just don't try and be quick because the last thing you want to do is act play in torrential hailstorms. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I got home with that bike and it's been my trusty steed ever since. A few bad memories from it, but it's brought me more joy than it has sorrow. Amazing, amazing. I had a, I had a Yamaha MT-07. Um, ah, the MT-07, that's a, that's a bad one bike that is. Yeah, naked, but uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, unfortunately, uh, we had a, we had a few issues as well. An Uber driver decided to turn um, while I was filtering, so... Yeah. London's, yeah, yeah, yeah. London's, London's like that. But um, hope... are, that's probably one of the best displacements on a bike that you can get. It's a yeah. good engine nice. Yeah, so we'll see. I'm hope, hopefully going to get another bike and um, we could uh, hit Europe, get on that trip to yeah, Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all over there. Um, fact, I remember cleaning my bike the other day and thinking the temptation's always there. But you've got to be realistic. There's a, yeah. I can ride for the rest of my life, but I can't run for Exactly. And, and to- <laughs> Tokyo is going to happen. I have a good feeling yeah, about Tokyo. So, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I'm. I'm really looking forward to Tokyo. I think, I think we're at a point now where we're ready to really set our mark on the world stage again. Um, and I'm, I'm. I think that it's. I think we'd be foolish just to assume we're going to get there. I think there's a great domestic field in the UK, and I think that there's going to be one hell of a dust up getting to there. So my 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 goal at the moment isn't necessarily to get to Tokyo. It's to make sure that I'm performing well before then. Yeah. So that when I hit the champs, I'm ready to go. And then come Tokyo again, I'm ready to go again. Nice, nice, nice. Right. There's um, something I didn't mention to you that happens on the podcast. We have a track of the podcast. So you just need to tell us a track you've been listening to recently. We play the last 10 seconds. We play like a snippet of that track. So what have you been listening to? Any music that you'd, any tunes that you... Uh, uh, I've been training I'll to. I keep listening to quite later. Like uh, it's Mahalia. Is it what you do or what you do or something? I can't remember what it's called now. Cool. It's, from, it's by Mahalia. Right. Um, I'll research that and I'll put the last ten seconds of that track into the podcast. Um, yeah. 
Elliot, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for jumping on the Running Lifestyle Culture podcast. Uh, it's been amazing to hear kind of your journey and um, I'm inspired. Like, I think I'm going to be training harder than ever. And um, I'm What's glad... Sensible? What's that? But sensible. But sensible. Quality over quantity. That's the yeah. that's the phrase of this, this, this podcast. And um, thank you so much for jumping on and um, like, your work's amazing. I think you've just done, you know... You've done incredible things in your career so keep going keep striving and i'm looking forward to seeing you um you know light up the track yeah no, i appreciate it all right see you soon man so elliot's track of the podcast was mahalia what you did here's a little snippet go check it out Big shout out to Elliot. He recorded that with me over lockdown. Um, recently, 10th of August 2020, he ran 800 meters in a Swedish Grand Prix and came second. So definitely is in good shape. So thank you very much, Elliot. Um, you have been listening to the Running Lifestyle Culture podcast. Um, and see you next week. Manny out.